That was the life story of Joseph, wasn't it? God had another plan for him. He had all these dreams and all these things that he thought was all going to turn out. And it turned out that they did go that way, but it took a long process of trials and difficulties and suffering in order for God to raise him from the prison to be the prime minister. And what a blessing it was. We're so thankful that God has plans for our lives, and they're always good. Always good. Ours, not so much. God's, greatly. Shall we just open in prayer? Father, we're so thankful that you love us so much that you want only the best for us. And whatever trials and difficulties you bring, whatever experiences we have, we don't regret them, Lord, because we know that they're needed for our good. Sometimes we wish we could go back in life and change things and do them over again. Or we could take back the words that we've said or the things that we have done. But we can't. But we leave them in your hands. And we pray, Lord, when it comes to eternity, that every person will be ready when the trumpet sounds. That every single believer will be serving the Lord with all their hearts and will have no regrets at the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, help us to be faithful Christians all the way to the end. And we pray that you will speak to our hearts by the Holy Spirit today. Please hide me behind the cross and help this message to touch many people. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, we all have them. We all live with them. And I'm not talking about your spouses. But what I'm talking about is we have regrets. We can all look back to things in life and wish we had not done them or we wish we had done other things instead or we wish we hadn't said something or we wish we had said something. There are regrets in life and a regret is defined as a troubled feeling or remorse over something that has happened, especially over something one has done or left undone. The message, the title of our message today is No Regrets, Part 1. The second part of the message will be at the last Sunday of the month on the 29th. So we're going to cover half of it today and we're going to cover the other half. I was studying it yesterday and I was going through it and I said, wow, I'm about halfway through. Ooh, if I go any more, it's going to be an hour message. We can't have an hour message. So we'll split it into two parts. That's the best way. You know, Billy Graham was a an ambassador to the presidents, wasn't he? He had more influences on the presidents of the United States than perhaps any other person. He was close friends with so many of them. And one of the presidents he was close friends with, though it wasn't for a long time because he didn't live a very long life, was President John F. Kennedy. And the two met slightly after uh, John F. Kennedy had been elected president and they were in the car together and he spoke to Billy Graham and he asked him this question. He said, Billy, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? What a question. Wouldn't you like to be asked that question by an unsaved person and want to hear the, and so they could hear the answer? And he says, yes, I do, Mr. President. And he told him about the first coming of the Lord and how the Lord came down and he went to the cross and he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life and that Jesus has promised to come back. And come back to take us to be with himself. And he, he said, well, does my church believe this? And you know, he was the Catholic. 
And he says, well, it's in their creeds. It's in their, you know, things that they, that they mention, their creeds. But he said, the president said, very interesting. He says, we'll have to talk more about this someday. And then they parted. Three years later, at a national prayer breakfast, each of them were speaking at that national prayer breakfast. And that day, Billy Graham felt horrible. He had the flu. He had the fever. He was freezing cold. And the two of them came out after the, after the time, and the president said to him, he said, could you ride back with me, Billy, to the White House? I'd like to see you for a minute. And so Billy Graham said, Mr. President, I've got a fever, and I'm weak. And I don't want to give you this thing. Could we talk about this maybe later? And so the president was gracious uh, and said, of course. Because Billy Graham was feeling horrible. He was cold. He didn't have his overcoat or anything. But the two never met again. Never met again. President Kennedy was assassinated that year in 1963. We all know probably, if you're old enough, where you were at that time. It shocked the nation. It was horrible. He was shot and killed, and it was seen by millions of people. But Billy Graham was haunted by that, that he didn't have the chance to speak to the president again. He somehow lost an opportunity, and he regretted it. And so he wondered, what was on his mind? What did he want to talk to me about? Should I have gone with him? And it was a moment that was lost. And we can all look back to experiences in life where we lost an opportunity, right? We lost an opportunity to say something, to do something, and you can never get those back again. And those are regrets. But God can even turn our regrets into something good, something positive, something beneficial for other people. Today we're going to look at Four different categories of regrets that we can have in life. Number one are the things that we should have done. Things that we did that we should not have done, I should say. Things we did that we should not have done. Number two, things we said that we should not have said. And then at the last part of the month on the 29th, we're going to cover the third and the fourth ones. The things that we did not do that we should have done. And number four, the things that we should not, that we did not say that we should have said. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 8 to 10, Paul is mentioning here some of the things that he spoke to the Corinthians about. Now, can you imagine that letter that he had to write them, 1 Corinthians? He had to correct them on many things including the most important thing was the man who was in sin there that had to be corrected. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, Paul writes these words to the Corinthians there. It says, verse 8 to 10, okay. I think we, we might have the 2 Corinthians Yes, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 8 to 10. Ed. 2 Corinthians 2, 8 to 10. Perfect. You had it right, I think, the first time. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. That was the person who was in sin. Okay, we went back to first. Okay, I'm just going to read it. Here we go. 
For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though for only for a while. Now I rejoice that you were not only made sorry, but you were so, your, that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorrow in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss in nothing. For in godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of this world produces death. Paul was a little afraid what he was going to say to the church at Corinth was not going to go well and that they weren't going to receive him well, that they were going to hold it against him. But they, but he found it totally different. They listened to what he had to say. They repented, including this man who was in sin, and it turned out for the good. And so there was no regret in Paul. He says, I did regret it, but now I don't regret it because it was for God's glory. So we're going to look, first of all, is what we did that we should not have done. We can all look back in our lives, can't we, to things that we shouldn't have done. And we wish we had not done them. And one of them that I found was Paul and Barnabas. Now, these were two of the greatest evangelists individually together. And the team that they had, Paul and Barnabas, were probably the greatest team of evangelists that you could have going out preaching the gospel. They went all over the ancient world. They preached to the Jews. They preached to the Gentiles. They won souls to Christ. They planted churches. They appointed elders in every church. And these two were so powerful that the Spirit of God used them in such a magnificent way. Well, the devil doesn't like that, does he? And so one day they had a disagreement over young John Mark. John Mark was a believer. He loved the Lord. He wanted to serve the Lord. He had uh, energy. He was enthusiastic. He wanted to go. But when he went to the mission field, he found how hard it was. And he turned back and left Paul and Barnabas and went back again. And so Paul was not happy with that. And I'm sure Barnabas wasn't happy at that when that happened as well. But John Mark repented. And we know the story, but here now is a, it's a problem. Paul says we can't take him back on the missionary trip anymore. No. What he did, he left the work, he forsook it. We can't do it. On the other hand, Barnabas says, no, we need to take him with us. And so it says there was a sharp disagreement between the two. And each man stood his position. Paul stood and Barnabas stood. And it's interesting that the words that were used in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41, it's interesting because Barnabas, it says, he was determined to take Mark with him. And then Paul insisted that he not go. So you have two brothers that love each other, that love the Lord, but have this, this conflict. Just like you had the two sisters in, in Christ there in Philippi, Eudeus uh, and, and Syndicate that couldn't get along. Here, these two great men had a had an impasse. One said, Paul, don't take him. We're not going to take him. The other said, let's take him. And so probably if you ask them, Paul and Barnabas, did you regret this situation? They would say yes. Because they had this partnership, this love, this companionship together in serving the Lord. But this conflict became a problem. And so this would be something you could say they regretted 
in their lives because the two of them split up. Barnabas took Mark with him and they went to, to Crete and served the Lord, uh, to Cyprus and served the Lord. And then Paul took Silas with him and went and served the Lord. And we can kind of see by the way the Spirit of God writes it that Paul was mostly in the right in this situation. He was in the right. Barnabas was in the wrong. But sometimes a person can be totally right. You can be totally right, but by having a bad attitude with it or insisting on your own way can cause problems. And so this was something that they regretted, something that they regretted in life. And sometimes the way we treat others, we can regret it. We can win an argument and lose a friend. And that's a worse thing that we can do. So that's something that we can regret. Something we do, we wish we hadn't done. We wish we could go back and do it over again. And that's what a regret is all about. Another one is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. In that day, Joshua and the people of Israel had just defeated Ai. They had won the battle and they were going to go on and, and, and fight more. And the inhabitants of the land, the Gibeonites, came and they came dressed like they had come from this long journey. And they purposely did this. And their, and their food was, their bread was all crumbly like they had been on this long journey. And they pretended that they were not from the land of Canaan that they had come. And they lied and they tried to convince Joshua and the people of Israel that they were really something else, that they really weren't who they were. And so they came and they Joshua and I give credit to Joshua and the leaders because they didn't believe it at first. They kind of doubted these people. They said these people could be living in the land. And God had said you were to go and take possession of the land and and to kill those people of the land. And so but instead of what they should have done is they should have counseled with the Lord. They should have asked the Lord's opinion, but they didn't. And so they ended up signing a peace treaty with these people. And then they found out later, we were deceived. We were deceived. If we are not careful to follow God's word and to follow God's counsel, we can make decisions that we will regret for the rest of our lives. Can you think of a decision that someone would make in life that they could regret the rest of their lives? One of them is who you marry in life. Who you marry in life. You could uh, impulsively go ahead and marry somebody you know is not God's will and you'll live to regret it the rest of your life. And there's other decisions like that too that have long-lasting implications in our lives if we do not make the right decisions. And they made the wrong decisions and the people of God suffered for it. And the people of God got angry with their leaders because they didn't make the right choice. They didn't make the right decision. It's amazing. We can have regrets for the things that we have done. And then I thought, you know, there's interesting, there's two instances in the Bible, and I don't know if you've ever realized this, that God himself regretted it. Now you say, how could God, the infinite God of the universe, ever regret anything? Well, there's two instances. Number one is in the book of Genesis chapter 6, where it says the fallen angels came down to earth. They married with the uh, women of this earth and they produced this superhuman race. They're called men of renown, superhuman race of sinful, evil, corrupt 
people. It was so bad, it says the thoughts and intents of their hearts was only evil continually. And God was grieved that he had created man. And in that passage of scripture, it says in that very thing. In Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And I thought of myself, if God was grieved in those days for the evil and the wickedness and the sinfulness of earth, what would he think about today's world? What would he think about today's world? You know, I work in San Francisco and I think we have every kind of sin and every kind of thing going on over there. They say California and San Francisco, are, we're leaders in the nation of setting the trends. Well, if we're setting a trend, we're setting a bad precedent, bad trend. And it's not just San Francisco, it's other countries in America, it's other countries in the world. We see sin overwhelming everything. And it's so sad. And it must grieve the heart of the Lord. It must pain Him so much when He looks down on His creatures that He loves so much and He sees people not only sinning, but they're reveling in their sin. They're, they're gloating in their sin. They're, they're um, enjoying it to the standpoint of they're flaunting it. They're flaunting it. And it's sad to see it. And we see it with our eyes and, not, and it's not getting any better. We pray for our nation. We pray for our country. But we're going down. And the morality of our country is going down day after day after day. It's getting worse. And so God regretted that he made man and he regretted it in his heart. The second incident is also interesting where God shows regret is when Saul was appointed king over Israel and he was tall, he was dark and he was handsome. And it says he was taller than any other man above his shoulders in the whole country of Israel. I mean, if you were looking for somebody to put on The Bachelor, right, or whatever, like this show that they have, you would have chose Saul because he was so handsome and strong and powerful. And God says, I'm going to give you a king. But he told them all the things that were going to happen when the king was ruled. He told Samuel, they haven't rejected you because they want a king. They've rejected me. And so here's what's going to happen. Tell them what's going to happen. And he did. And so still with all of that, God loves Saul so much. And Saul started off so good. He started off humble, little in his own eyes. Remember when he was hiding among the baggage and he was he was humble He didn't deserve it. He didn't feel he deserved it. Later on, his heart became so hardened against the Lord that he disobeyed the Lord. When Samuel told him what to do, he disobeyed. He didn't obey the Lord. He forsook the Lord and the Lord cut off all communication with Saul. And we know that he went and he went to the witch of Endor, the medium there to find out what to do because God wasn't talking to him anymore. And it's a sad situation. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 35, And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Saul mourned for, uh, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. He regretted it. I don't want ever God to say, I regretted I put Dean in that position. I don't want to ever say the Lord, to the Lord, Dean disappointed me. Dean let me down. Dean should have done this. Dean should have done that. 
But that's sometimes what can happen to us. We can disappoint the Lord. And I think that's the number one fear of every truly born-again Christian is to disappoint the Lord, to let Him down, to do something that brings uh, dishonor to His name. That happened to David. Remember when David committed that sin and double sin of adultery and murder uh, in, in the account there in the scriptures. And it says that when Nathan the prophet went and confronted him over his sin, he says, you have caused the enemies of God to blaspheme. You have caused the name of Christ to be dragged through the mud. We've seen it. We've seen it happen over the last number of years where preachers, they're on TV preaching the gospel. They're preaching the word of God. Next thing you know, a scandal has arisen. Next thing you know, they're put into prison. Next thing you know, they're having extramarital affairs. It's dragging the name of Christ in the mud. It really is. Because when people see that preacher, they don't just see that preacher. They see Christ because he's representing Christ. Think about it. We represent Christ. And we want to represent him in the right way so that we don't have any regrets about it. That we represent Christ in the right way by being obedient to him, by trusting him, by obeying him, and by doing those things that please him and do not cause shame to his name. We don't want to let the Lord down. So that's our first point this morning. We can do some things that we wish we had not done. And that is what we have to be careful of. The second one is, is we said something we shouldn't have said. You know, words are like a boomerang, aren't they? They go out and then they come right back and hit us. You throw that boomerang out, where does it go? It comes right back at you. And that's what happens with our words. If our words are not right or they're not the right words, they can hurt other people and they can end up hurting us as well. And when I think of someone who regretted his words, one of the first people I think of was one of the judges, and his name was Jephthah. He was the 11th judge in the book of Judges, and he was called upon to be the leader of the nation to go off and fight the Ammonites and to win the victory. And Jephthah made an unwise vow, a rash vow, in the 11th chapter of Judges, chapter 30 and verse 30 and 31. And it says, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of my doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Now, I have a question for Jephthah. Who did he expect to see coming out of the doors of his house? A sheep coming out of the doors where you would offer that sheep or that lamb? That you would offer that lamb or that sheep as a sacrifice? Who did you think was going to come out to meet you? Maybe your wife? Maybe your daughter? And it turns out he had one daughter. One only child. A daughter. A lovely daughter that he loved so much, but he made a vow to the Lord that whatever came out to meet him, he would dedicate that to the Lord. And as it turns out, it was his daughter and he could not take it back. And so in verses 34 to 40, it tells us that she accepted this. Now, 
He didn't take her out and offer her up as a burnt offering. That he did not do because that was against Israel. It was against God's word to make human sacrifices. But what he did was she was kept as a perpetual virgin for the rest of her life. And young ladies, she was a young, aspiring, like Christiana here, Danielle, Gabrielle, uh, <laughs> Natalie, all their age, right? She was a young teenager and she had to follow that vow of her father to be unmarried for the rest of her life. All because Jephthah made that rash vow that he shouldn't have made. He said something he shouldn't have done and he couldn't take it back. But I really liked her attitude there. In verse 36, it says, Father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. I love the attitude she had. Kind of reminds me of when Isaac and Abraham went up to the mountain and when Isaac was there and he said, where's the, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. And then they go up a little further and then he's got Isaac laying down on the altar there and he's got the knife out. But still, Isaac is not resisting or running away or questioning anything. He's just laying right there. And then God stops it. It says, now I know you love God. And so this lady here, this daughter of Jephthah, had such a beautiful spirit of willingness to do God's will, no matter even though this was going to be very hard for her and was going to last the rest of her life. It says, she said, let me have two months with my friends and we'll go out to the hills of, of Jerusalem and to the people, uh, land of Israel and we will bewail uh, my virginity. Yes, our words can get us into trouble so bad. This little tongue, it's in our mouth, right? It's a muscle but it can cause us many problems. It can cause us to say something hurtful, regretful toward other people, and we have to be so careful. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 37, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. We're going to have to give an answer for our words. We're going to have to give an answer for our actions. In the preceding verse in Matthew 12, 36, it says, but I say to you that every idle word that men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Wouldn't it be sad if somebody spoke a word and that word went viral on the Internet? And sometimes this happens, doesn't it? People say things on the Internet and they're emboldened because they think, well, I can, I'm on the Internet. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. I can say what I want. I can feel free to be free. I can post whatever pictures I want or all these things until it goes viral and the whole world sees it. And sometimes that can happen to us. We can feel so embarrassed by the things that we say that we regret it. There's a story in the life of the Apostle Paul that one day he was standing before the Israelites and the rulers of the people, the high priest and the, and the others, and he made his defense to them. And he said, men and brethren, I have lived a good conscience before God until this day. And that was true. But what did they do? The high priest orders Paul to be hit on the mouth. He says, hit him. And so the guy hits him on the mouth. 
And so Paul did not know that who he was dealing with here was the high priest. So, you know, Paul was, he reacted a little bit angrily here and he says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law and you command me to be struck contrary to the law. And then one of the people said, don't you know you're reviling the high priest? And Paul says, I did not know that it was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So Paul regretted that. And we can regret some of the things that we say, but we can't take back the words. And so we have to be careful, not only that we do not do and we do not say those things that God does not want us to do or do not, because it is so important that what we do is be pleasing to God. And I think one of the biggest regrets that a person will have will be an eternity. Because if you stand before the great white throne judgment, means that you're not saved. And God will have you answer for your life and why you did not receive his son, Jesus Christ. There will be no one who will not regret that. That will be the greatest regret for all eternity. You had the opportunity to be saved. You heard it on the gospel radio station. You heard Billy Graham preach it. You heard it at church from Adel or other preachers. You heard the gospel, but you didn't receive Christ. That is going to be the greatest regret of all because all other regrets, maybe they're big, maybe they're small, but they pale in comparison to the regret of not receiving Christ because those in hell will be in the darkness forever and ever with terrible pain. And the worst of it will not be the pain. The worst of it will not be the darkness. The worst of it will be the regret. Thinking over and over and over again, why? Why didn't I listen? Why was I too busy? Why did I think it would be for another day, another time? Why, why, why? be too late. That's why we don't want anyone to leave this auditorium today without receiving Christ. Because if something happens to you, and God forbid it does, you would have eternal regret because you missed the chance. You missed the opportunity. If you've ever gone to the airport and you're running to make your flight and you've got stuck in traffic and you run to get there, and you're running through the airport, like O.J. Simpson used to do, right, in the commercial, running through the airport to get to your flight, and you get there, and you think, well, I've got time, right? Sorry, the door has been closed. And once they close the cabin door, you're not getting in. You are not getting in. Even though it says the flight's going to leave at 1 o'clock, and you got there at 12.57, they've already shut the door. It's too late. And the door shuts, closed, can't get in. And that's the way it's going to be when we stand before God. If we're not saved, the door is closed. It's locked. You can't get in. You can beg. You can plead. You can say, please, I meant to get saved. Please, I meant to love you, Lord, and to follow you all the days of my life. That will be a regret that will be unquenchable. The other regret we can have as Christians 
when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged for our sins, but to be judged for our evaluated for what we did for the Lord. And I think there will be regrets in that day too. I could have done more. I could have prayed more. I could have served more. I could have gave more. I could have given my life more freely, Lord. But I held back. I was thinking of myself. I was thinking of what I wanted to do and not what you wanted me to do. And there'll be regrets. But praise God, it says there'll be no tears in heaven. And God will have a private session with us individually, one-on-one, and He will reward us for the things that we did that were good, for the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. And then he, we will suffer loss for those things which were not pleasing to Him. But we will be saved. We will not lose our salvation. And thank God for that. So may the Lord help us not to have regrets. Not to have any regrets. Not to have any regrets that we didn't get saved. Not to have any regrets that we didn't serve the Lord more. Not to have the regrets of the things that we did that we shouldn't have done. Or the things that we said and we shouldn't have said. And if that does happen to us and we have these regrets, they're under the blood now. When you get saved, all the things you do in the past, it's under the blood. And that is a joy to me. That is a blessing to me because when he puts it under the blood, it is forgiven, it is cleansed. You may still remember it. He says, your sins and iniquities I remember no more. I don't remember it, Dean. Well, remember, Lord, when I did that and I really blew it? I don't remember it. Sorry, I don't remember it. Peter, Peter regretted, I'm sure, when he denied the Lord three times, three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. That was a regret. But God turned it, forgave him of of that sin. And Peter went on to be a great apostle, a great evangelist, a great man of God. May the Lord help us not to have the regrets. And may the Lord help us to live for his kingdom and for his glory and to say, Lord, I gave it all to you. I, I gave it all. I didn't hold anything back. I didn't keep anything back. I gave it all for your service. Because when you get to the end of your life and you go to go to be with the Lord, we're going to leave all these things of earth behind. All the toys that we've accumulated, all the awards and treasures of this world, they're all going to be gone and there's going to be nothing left and we're going to stand before the Lord and He's going to have us give an account of our lives. And it's not going to be matter how rich you were or how poor you were or how successful in the world you were or how unsuccessful in the world you were, how your life was messed up or how it was not messed up. What counts is, were you saved? Did you have Jesus Christ as your Savior? And did you live for Him? That's the only thing that's going to count. May the Lord encourage our hearts to have no regrets. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you today for your word. And we thank you for all the men and women in the Bible that went through all these different experiences. Some of them regretted them and some did not. But we can learn lessons from them, Lord. They're there for a reason. They're not just there to tell about their weaknesses and about their failures and about the things they did wrong or said wrong. But they're there. They're written for our instruction so that we may follow the godly example, Lord, and not do the things we shouldn't do and that we would do the things we should do. And Lord, help us to be your children, to share the good news with others, 
that they can too can be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray for anyone here who's not saved today, that today will be the day of their salvation, that they will believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, Lord, that they will confess their sins and ask for forgiveness, and that you will cleanse them and forgive them and give them eternal life. And this will be a day of joy. And Lord, we just look forward to being with you in heaven forever. And so we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.